All right. So, after a, a bit of a hiatus, we're back. And this time, this episode is called Job Part 1, subtitle. <laughs> Wait, Job got set up? That's right. So, we're going to start off or kick off a three-part series on the book of Job. It's going to be great. I uh, had the good fortune of doing this book with some really great people a couple of months ago, and we literally read pretty much every single chapter of the whole book, and man, this book exploded for me, just did so much. So thank you for checking this out. My name is John. I was trained as a pastor, and this is one of the ways I'm trying to do something good with that education. Now, I originally titled this The Misadventures of Job, part one, two, and three, and I decided to just change up the title, make the subtitle the interesting part. Now, why would I bother doing a series on this ridiculous and often characterized book of the Hebrew scriptures? Well, because when you go to high school or middle school, you might notice that... um, We have science class, biology, chemistry. We have health. We have math, arithmetic, um, geometry, algebra, calculus, trig, right? You could take French or Spanish or German. It doesn't really matter. But if you notice, what we don't have is we don't have a class devoted to wisdom. And so it's important that, at least in the Hebrew Bible, we've definitely got a number of books that are considered uh, the Ketuvim, which is Hebrew for the, the wisdom literature. And so what, what do we do with this? And does this ancient wisdom have something to say to us? And of course it does. But man, before or even during it saying stuff to you, it takes you on a ride. Now, you may know that Job is a character who had a lot of tragedy happen to him, and then he sits and talks with his friends, and his friends give him bad advice, and then God shows up and gives him everything that he lost back. Well, that is a massive oversight. It's a glossing over of a heck of a lot of really interesting things that happen in there. So let's Let me give some background to Job, and then we're going to do the first three chapters. Um, And man, again, they take you on quite a ride. Now, the book of Job is potentially one of the oldest stories in the Old Testament. It stands on its own. It isn't quite referenced in other books. So it's kind of a standalone wisdom teaching. Does that make sense? And some people wonder if it actually happened. Some people wondered if it wasn't just a narrative that was like a fireside story that was told to help communicate wisdom and insights to the next generation growing up. But in the midst of all of that, you can't prove it either way. So my insistence would be, don't bother trying. Because if you try to make this book into an endless endeavor trying to prove when and where it happened, then you're going to miss out on the wisdom, the truths it's trying to tell you and to communicate to you. Does that make sense? Now, 
Uh, Job is spoken of in this sense, in this book, kind of like a patriarch on the same level or par as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's understood as just a person of very good reputation in his region. And as a result of that, it seems as though he's got a heck of a lot going for him. Got tons of money, got tons of people working with and for him. He's got a good family. And so he's understood as being, you know what? You live a good life, you get good things. And that's kind of where things start to get kind of tricky. Again, it's it's definitely a, a story that could have been retold around the bonfire. And it's pretty funny, actually. When you read it for what it is, it's, it's got some humor in it. And it's problematic the whole time. It just keeps throwing curveball after curveball. So hopefully I've already started to scratch the itch of like, oh, maybe, maybe we've glossed over this book far too often and have missed out on some of it. So hopefully what I've said so far really makes the book of Job sound more interesting than you thought it was. Now, it's a curious book, sure. It's often oversimplified. It doesn't really fit well, actually, with the other books of the Bible. But this is because it it doesn't depict God like any of the other books in the Bible. And we tend to have this understanding of causality, right? That says, you do good, good things will happen to you. Well, it doesn't happen in this story. You do good things and then bad things happen to you. And so it kind of challenges our understanding of theology. And in some sense, this book is against karma. What goes around comes around. It's like, well, maybe. But what's fascinating is that this book is a part of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, where it says, yeah, you get what you deserve. And then other times, eh, no, you didn't get what you deserve. Not right there. And so there is something fascinating that in the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament, we start to have the first instances of victimhood and being a victim, having something happen to you that really wasn't your doing. It was just kind of up to the fates, and it happened to you. And that's kind of what this book really starts to dig at. Does that make sense? Um, Again, it's one of the oldest, if not the oldest book of the Bible. And we believe that the story itself could even be older than the book because it could have been a tale that was passed down from one family to another until it finally got written down. So this book is absolutely way older than we think it is. So if you've got a Bible with a really nice cover and you just bought it, it looks brand new, well, your brand new book is containing an ancient, ancient book that could be 2,500 years old, 3,000 years old. I mean, you're about to dive into something that's 3,000 years old, potentially. Isn't that crazy? Now, uh, Job, like I said, is spoken of like a patriarch, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But his name itself tells you something about the book. Uh, the name Job might be a, a play on the Hebrew word oyeb, 
which means adversary or lawyer. Yeah. So in fact, Job has a lot of legal uh, courtroom vocabulary all throughout the entire book. It's very much about Job setting up a lawsuit against God. So who's the adversary here? So if the name is really just adversarial lawyer, who is having the courtroom setting here? Is it Job is the lawyer against God, or does it seem like in this book, God has been the lawyer accusing back at Job? You see, this book is actually about a courtroom setting where justice needs to be figured out. And that's why it's a part of the Hebrew wisdom literature. And that's why we're missing it. It's fun to read and learn about math and calculus and biology and chemistry and all of the other subjects that you might learn in high school. But man, wisdom? Mm. So we're going to read the first three chapters. Pause for funny moments all the way through. And uh, yeah, and then we'll, we'll do part two next week and then part three the week after. So let's read the first three chapters. It's not going to be terribly long, especially since these are very entertaining chapters that set up everything. Here we go. Let me flip it over. Here we go. So sit down, enjoy this, buckle in. I'm going to try to do my best to just make this an entertaining storytelling session. You feel me? Let's go. There once was a man in the land of Uz. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. See, he's getting set up pretty well. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold feasts in one another's houses in turn, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the feast days had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This is what Job always did. Pause. So man, his family was the family to know, throwing parties, but he was also a good man. He would go to the temple, he would go to the religious authorities of the day and do what needed to be done to even make amends for his kids, just in case they did something that they shouldn't. So he was being preemptive as like a mediator between his kids and their God. So this man is going out of his way, and you could tell he was clearly liked. Continuing on. One day, the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? As if God didn't know. Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? 
There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well. <laughs> All that he has is in your power, only do not stretch out your hand against him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Pause again. Apparently Satan still has access to heaven in this part of the story. What's up with that? Now, we could very easily go into big discussions about angel and demonology, or we could just say, wow, this is clearly setting up a tall tale to learn something from. But regardless, Satan sets up parameters and God agrees with the parameters. He's like, yeah, go ahead. Take everything. Just don't hurt him, the person. So what is up with this book that God consents to hardship and loss happening to one of his best dudes, Job? That makes God sound to be rather terrible, right? We also have to pay attention. The name Satan means, or Satan in Hebrew, means the accuser. So here we have a man whose name is Job, which might mean lawyer or adversary. And then here's Job, the accuser, coming along, who's maybe presenting a counter or he's making an offense, and then there's a defense. Like, what's going on here, right? So let's keep going, all right? God consents. God allows Job to have everything taken from him. Kind of at the goading of Satan. I can't believe that God allowed himself to be pushed around like that, right? Here we go. Continuing on. One day, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell on them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. When he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and all the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, Another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid on the camels and carried them off, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people. And they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job rose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. Thus ends chapter 1. So Job loses everything. 
and how convenient each messenger shows up while the previous messenger is finishing up their statement of bad, terrible news. Now, most people think that the book kind of ends here. They read chapter one, and then they jump ahead to like chapter 38, 39, 40, and on. They miss out on chapter two and three, because this is where the ante gets upped, and the situation gets even worse. But so far, Job has not cursed God. Mm. But the question is always, is he about to? Let's see. Chapter two, you ready? We're going to do the first three chapters, and then we'll wrap it up. Here we go. One day, the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord. Oh, so it's back up in heaven now. Okay. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. This sounds like the same thing that happened before in chapter one. Am I right? The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Okay, so here God notices, okay, you goaded me, but I, and I fell for it. Then Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin. All that people have, they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he is in your power, only spare his life. So now Satan goaded God even more to relent on his parameters. He's like, okay, just leave his health fine. Now God's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you can take away his health. Just keep him alive. Don't kill him. What is up with this? It's not like they're playing poker with a man just trying to see whether or not he's going to snap, whether or not it's going to be too much for him to handle. They've already taken away all of the things that he had and all of his family. And now Satan and God agree, go ahead and take off his health. Jeez. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, Job took a potsherd with which to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. Because, at least in her mindset, death is better than what Job's going through in this moment. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Ah, so with his words, he hasn't cursed God yet. But does that mean something on the inside is getting close? See what I mean? Now, When Job's three friends heard of all these troubles that had come upon him, each of them set out from his home. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Nemethite. We all know somebody named each of those names, right? They met together to go and console and comfort him. 
When they saw him at a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes and threw dust in the air upon their heads. They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Yes, this might be where the Jewish practice of sitting Sheva is, which means technically sitting, sitting. But when somebody's grieving, the best thing you can do is not speak to them or interpret the situation for them, but just sit with them in silence. And that's what they're doing here. So far, his friends are being commendable. All right, chapter three, and then we're going to wrap it all up, all right? This is where things get bleak, dark. I don't know. Let's see here. After this, this is after a week of silence with his friends. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Ooh, he he hasn't verbally cursed God yet, but he's cursing the day of his birth. Job said, let's see if I can do this in a good voice. Job said, Let the day perish in which I was born, and the night that said, a man, child, is conceived, a boy. Let that day be darkness. May God not above not seek it, or light shine on it. Let gloom and darkness claim it. Let clouds settle upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Yes, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry be heard in it. Let those curse it who curse the sea. Those who are skilled to rouse up the Leviathan, let the stars of its dark of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none. May it not see the eyelids of the morning because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb and hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come forth from the womb and expire. Why were the knees to receive me or breasts for me to suck? Now that I would be lying down and quiet, I would not be asleep. And then I would be at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuild ruins for themselves or with princes who have gold, who fill their houses with silver. Or why was I not buried like a stillborn child, like an infant that never sees the light? There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They did not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are free from their masters. Why is light given to the one in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it does not come, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to one who cannot see the way whom God is fenced in? From my sighing comes like my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. And this is where it gets the biggest part. Truly, the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Thus ends chapter 3. What is going on? Now, Job 
at this point, yes, that's all poetry. But man, this guy is saying some of the darkest poetry that should be in emo music today, right? And now if you go back and you reread this for yourself, you will notice there's like references towards the days of creation. Let there not be any dawn. Let there only be night. Let there not be stars. Everything is darkness. And then he goes on to saying, why not just be dead because those people have it better? But here's the thing. Granted, he did not curse God verbally out loud yet. But he does curse the day that God brought him into being. And then it's like poetry. He's like searching for death because death would be better than whatever he's going through right now. So man, Job is in a dark place. All right. So let's just recap. The book of Job is potentially one of the oldest books of the entire Bible. It is a Beautiful wisdom treatise on justice and yes or no, do people get what they deserve? And if you don't get what you deserve, if you get hardship for all your good labor, is it okay to then just like curse the day of your own birth? And what's going on here? Apparently God is okay getting bets from Satan and Satan still has entrance into heaven. What is going on here? Well, It goes like this. So far, we just got the background story. This is like the foundation has been laid now for the rest of the book. Because from chapter 4 until about 37, 38, Job is just going to have conversations with his friends. And they're going to banter back and forth about all of the events that just happened here in chapters 1 through 3. Now, here's the thing. Job and his friends at this point know nothing about the fact that there was a wager made in heaven about whether or not Job would snap. So from their perspective, they see no good cause for it. And even if they were to find out that Satan and God made a wager, would that be sufficient reason for them to be like, oh, okay, this is good enough for why all the hardship happens to Job? Or would they actually be furious that God and Satan made a wager to make Job snap? Finally, the name Job, as we said before, is o- could be Oyeb, which might mean lawyer, adversary, advocate. I'm not sure about advocate. What is it? Mm. Anyways, yeah, it's about being a lawyer. So he's going to, over the next 40 chapters or so, He's going to create his own lawsuit against God. And so we're going to break that down a bit in the next episode. But Job here is now sitting down with his friends, and they're about to have a pre-trial where they're going to lay out all the potential arguments for and against Job and for and against God so that there can be a big showdown at the end. Ooh. Now, the question is always, will God show up for such a courtroom scene? And the book says some interesting pros and cons about that, but this book has legal metaphors all over the place because, let's be honest, when an injustice has happened, the first thing that usually happens is a discussion about justice 
and what does it take. And this book, just like many of the other stories in Hebrew scriptures, actually validates the existence of a victim, the plight of a victim. Back in the day, if something happened to you, you just had to deal with it. It was fate. It was the, the will of the gods above. And so you don't have any room to push back or fight about it. It's just what is. So you might as well submit to it. Well, here is Job not submitting to the hardship that seems to be wrongfully thrown at him. Well, that's what's happening in the next couple 40 chapters. So far, he just wants to die. He is in such a bad shape. So, (laughs) I don't know if we should have a benediction, but it's important to at least realize this book, especially the first three chapters, is that Job got set up to fail in this. That God and Satan have made a wager as towards whether or not Job will finally snap and curse God. So far, he hasn't done that. He's only cursed the day of his own birth and wished for death because he thinks, like his wife, that what he's going through is pretty terrible. So, this is going to be a very interesting ride. I hope you enjoy this. It's going to be a, I don't know, it's going to be a roller coaster, of course. But you want to you wanna know the titles that I have up for this? Here we go. First one. Wait, Job was set up? That's this episode. Next episode is going to be two. Job is going to sue God? Like question mark? <laughs> really? You're going to sue God? And then three. <laughs> and this title just makes me laugh. Hippos, alligators, and loins. That's right. That is how this book, this series on Job is going to finish. So buckle in. We'll see you next time. Yeah, here we go. Let's do this. Cheers.